Well, as we've been looking at the life of Abraham, we've seen that the most important thing that really happens in his life is when God shows up and meets with him and speaks to him. And uh, we've noted that through his life, God is going to come and have this meeting time, have this time where he shares with him seven times uh, in his life. And really with each time, the ultimate purpose of God is to help Abram grow in faith and help Abram grow in obedience. Now, in chapter 15, we saw that Abram was struggling. It had been 10 years uh, since the promise had gone forward, and he was struggling with waiting. And, you know, he needed God to really come and, and help him grow in faith, help him grow in obedience. And so we see that the Lord does that for Abram, and his response is great. We're told that he believed in the Lord. He believed in those promises and God counted that to him as righteousness. And so chapter 15 was a, a great turning point for Abram. And he comes to this place where he finally really believes in what the Lord has promised uh, will actually happen. And so it's a, a great step of faith and he's taking this great step towards the Lord. But sadly, Chapter 16 comes. Abram's done real well. That God has helped him grow in faith, helped him grow in obedience. But his wife hasn't quite got to that point yet. And as we looked in chapter 16, we see they take a step back. You know, Abram took that step forward in faith, and now they take a step back. And what is it that they did that ultimately demonstrated a lack of faith? Polygamy? Okay, good. Sarai asks Abram, to take on another wife, and for what purpose? Yeah, he says, she says, hey, take my maid, Hagar, and ultimately maybe you can have the, the child that God has promised through her. Uh, and so, you know, they come up with their own fleshly plan to, you know, produce the child of promise, but, you know, that doesn't work. You know, you can't produce the child of promise through your flesh. And so they think, hey, we'll have this baby. Everything will be great. And actually everything gets really problematic and there's lots of consequences. Uh, it does not produce the promise. It produces uh, something that is not good for them. And so they take this step forward, at least Abram does in faith. And then he takes this step back as he listens to, you know, just ungodly counsel from his wife, and he goes forward with this. Uh, and, you know, I think this is just something that, sadly, we see a lot in our own lives of taking steps forward in faith and obedience and growing, which is often followed by a taking a step back, which is almost usually because we've given into our flesh, whether it be a fleshly plan or just giving into our sin. Uh, and tonight we're now going to come to chapter 17. So we end chapter 16 in kind of a low note of, you know, them being disobedient to the Lord. And, you know, God is now going to meet with Abram again in the beginning of chapter 17. And we're also going to look at the beginning of chapter 18 as well. And God's going to meet him for a second time. Uh, and so we're going to see two encounters where God comes and meets with Abram, speaks with Abram. And once again, for the ultimate purpose, Abram, I want you to grow specifically in faith and obedience. And so uh, that's going to be what we're going to be focusing on tonight, because, you know, when the Lord comes, he often comes to us to speak to us for the same purpose. I want you to grow. I want you to grow in your faith in me. I want you to grow in your obedience to me. And so we're going to look at how the Lord works in Abram's life, how he does things that help that growth to happen in Abram. And I want us to take note of those things because that is how God ultimately works in our life as well. And so when you see God working like you do here in Abram's life, 
Don't be discouraged or, oh, what are you doing, Lord? Remember, hey, he's seeking to help us grow. He wants us to be better people in obedience and faith. And so these are things that he uses to bring that growth into our life. And so let's see how he does this with Abram. Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1, we're going to see the first thing that God does to help Abram grow in faith and obedience. It says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. So chapter 17 starts with how old Abram is. And this is important because chapter 16 ends with an age as well. And so we can see the difference of time between chapter 16 and 17. And this is so important to note because we often read through someone's life like Abram and we think, man, God is like, you know, showing up every day to talk with him. But when you actually do the dates, you realize a lot of time transpires between each time the Lord speaks to Abram. At the end of chapter 16, Abram is 86 when Ishmael is born. He's 85 when he decides to sleep with Hagar. Nine months later, Ishmael's born. So he's 86 when he's there, uh, and that would make Sarai 76. Well, here at the start of chapter 16, we're told that he's now 99, which would mean that his wife is now 89. So 13 years have gone by since the events of chapter 16, now to the events of chapter 17. Now, one of the main reasons Abram and Sarai tried to help God out in chapter 16 was because he was taking so long. It's been 10 years. Surely you need our help. Surely it's not going to happen without us intervening and doing something to help you because you've taken so long. Now, God's waited even more time. There's 24 years that have gone by and the promised child still has not been produced. So it's understandable as we come to chapter 17 that we see both Abram and Sarah struggling in their faith and obedience in God. And I just want you to think about that practically. I mean, if you were waiting for 24 years for God to do something, I'm sure that you would get to a place where you're just thinking, this isn't going to happen. I mean, if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. You know, all, all sorts of things would probably go through our mind, making us think of why this isn't going to transpire after 24 years of waiting. And so, you know, you could think even, you know what, maybe God's mad at me. Look what we did. It was wrong to sleep with Hagar. It was wrong to go and do that on our own. It was wrong to have Ishmael. And, and maybe God just said, you know what? The promise is done. You guys tried it on your own. I'm done with you. I mean, it's been 13 years since he's done that. Uh, so, and, and God hasn't spoken to him in that time. So I'm sure he's wondering like, all right, Lord, you know, what's happening? Is it done? Is it over? And so as we come to chapter 17 and we see that they're struggling, realize we'd be struggling as well if this was the circumstance that we found ourselves in 24 years as a whole, 13 years since the time I did something really stupid. And in all this time, the Lord hasn't spoken to me. And so with all that in mind, God now comes to meet with Abram. And remember, the ultimate purpose is I want to help you grow. I want to help you grow in faith. I want to help you grow in obedience. And what is the first thing that God says to Abram? I am almighty God. This is the first time in the Bible that God refers to himself with this title, with this name. God is giving himself a new name. 
And something if you want to note in this chapter, we're going to see several new names, four to be precise. And so, you know, take note of these new names because each time God gives this new name, it is ultimately for the purpose of helping Abram grow. And this one is an important one. Uh, the Hebrew word here translated Almighty God is El Shaddai. It means all-sufficient, all-powerful, almighty God. So the first thing that God tells Abram, it's been 13 years since he's spoken to him. He finally comes to him again, and he wants Abram to know, hey, Abram, you serve the all-sufficient, all-powerful, almighty God. Now, why do you think that might help Abram grow in his faith? Why that might help him grow in obedience? Why would that be important for him to know about God? He can do anything? Good. Now, why would that be important for Abram and his wife and the situation that they're in? Yeah. How old is he right now? He's 99. His wife is 89. The promise that God has given them 24 years ago and has reiterated is you are going to have a son. Well, at this point in time, I'm sure they gave up on that. We are way too old for that. This is never going to happen. I'm 99. I didn't think it was going to happen when I was 85, but now I'm 99. Surely this isn't going to take place. And so he needed to understand who God is, who the one who promised him this is. I am the almighty God. I am the all-powerful one. I can do anything. So the first way that God helps Abram to grow in his faith and obedience is God reveals to Abram that he serves the all-sufficient, all-powerful, almighty God. You know, this is something that God regularly does for us when he wants to help us grow, when he wants us to grow in faith and obedience or, or in other areas of our life. You know, we get faced with impossible situations, and when that happens, we often forget, or we just put our limitations on God, and we limit him, and we forget this truth. We forget, wait a second, I serve the Almighty God. I serve the one who's all-sufficient, who's all-powerful, that there's nothing too big for him, that there's nothing impossible for him, but we forget that, and you know, we get hit with something that is impossible for us, and, and we start to struggle with that and think, this is never going to happen, I'm never going to get through this, God couldn't help me here, and God reminds us, as he did with Abram, hey, don't forget who I am. I am the all-powerful God. I can handle this situation. And as we're reminded of that, it deepens our faith. It helps us to grow in our obedience when we realize God can meet the impossible need that we have. So Abram's reminded of this wonderful thing. He, he's told who God is. But then God says, there, there's something I want you to do here in the end of verse 1. He says, Abram, I want you to walk before me and be blameless. You know, this is really the first thing that God has asked Abram to do besides leaving Ur of the Chaldees, leaving his family. You know, now he's saying, okay, there's something specific I want from you, Abram. I want you to walk before me and be blameless. Now, when we hear the word blameless, we often think of someone who is sinless, someone who doesn't have anything to be blamed for. But that's not what this Hebrew word means. It means complete, whole, the entire Amount. And so basically what God is saying to Abram is, Abram, I want all of you. I want you to give yourself to me completely, wholly, entirely. I don't want just part of you. I don't just want this bit or that bit. I want everything in your life. 
You know, see, as God seeks to help Abram grow in faith and obedience, this is the ultimate result. As you grow, Abram, I want you to give me more of yourself. And we've seen that through Abram's life. At first, it's like, oh, I don't really can give you anything. I'm not even going to be obedient at all. And we see him to start giving God more and more. But God's like, you know what? You gave me this part. That's nice. And you gave me that part. That's good. But that's not it. I don't want it to end there. I don't want 20% or 25% or 50 or 75. I want all of you, Abram. I want you to give me your entire life. And this is really the ultimate goal that God has for us. As he seeks to help us grow, as he seeks to help us mature, it's like, hey, that's great that you're you're giving me 40% and you used to only give me 20, but I still got 60% more. I still want to get you to a place where you're willing to give me all of yourself. The second thing that God does to help Abram grow in faith and obedience is in verse 2. It says this, And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. So after God reveals to Abram who he is, hey, I'm the almighty God, the all-powerful one, the one that can do anything, let me remind you, Abram, I haven't forgot about my promise. I haven't forgot about the covenant that I made with you back in chapter 15, which was 13 years ago. I haven't forgotten this. Now, now why would this be important for God to let Abram know? Yeah, I mean, if somebody told you they were going to do something and they hadn't done it for 13 years, you might think maybe they forgot or maybe this isn't going to happen. I mean, so this is one of those things where I'm sure Abram got to the point and his wife as well thinking, God's not doing this. I mean, we're 99 and 89. I mean, this is not going to happen. And so this is just another reassurance. God's told him several times, but we need to be reminded of these things. I mean, it's been 24 years since the first time he was told and 13 years since the last time he was told. Uh, And so, you know, you can understand why he would be struggling with whether or not this was going to happen. But God comes to him, reminds him, hey, I haven't forgotten. I'm still going to do this. The promise is still in place. And I'm revealing this to you, Abram, because I want this to help you grow in your faith, in your obedience. I want you to believe it. I'm going to do it. I know you maybe haven't believed that in the last 13 years, but let me remind you that this is the case. The second way that God helps Abram to grow in his faith and obedience is God reminds Abram that he's going to fulfill his promise to give him a son. Now, this is another way that God often does stuff to help us grow in our faith, to help us grow in our obedience with him. Because, you know, like Abram does, we forget the promises of God or we just don't believe in the promises of God. And so as the Lord reminds us, it just helps us grow. It helps us to believe. It helps us to trust that it's actually going to happen. And so God is faithful, especially as we forget or as time transpires and we think, well, surely it's been too long. And God says, nope. I'm just waiting. I have my perfect timing. I haven't forgotten. I haven't given up on you. I'm still working this out. I know it's not in your time, but it's in my time. And I'm just going to remind you, I am going to do this for you. And so trust me in it. And it's those times that the Lord reminds us that it brings us that greater faith that he actually will accomplish what he says he will do. The third thing that God does to help Abram grow in faith and obedience is in verses three through eight. And it says this, then Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. I will be their God. So once again, God reminds Abram of the promises that he's given, not just the promise to have the son, but the promise of the inheritance of the land. But God does something very specific, something new to help Abram grow in faith. You've already heard the promises, Abram, but I have something now that I'm doing for you to help you grow. And what's the specific thing that God does? Is that? He gives them a new name. So his name goes from Abram to what? Abraham, and this is what we're more familiar with. Now, there is a difference between these two names. The name Abram means father of many, and the name Abraham means father of many nations. Now, last week we talked about the culture of that time and how difficult it would have been for Sarai to be barren and how horrible and despised women were in that culture because of that. But something else in that culture that's maybe a little bit different than our culture today is your name and the meaning of your name was quite significant. You didn't just throw out names like celebrities do to their kids and, you know, just kind of random nonsense. There was a a specific name and it had a, a real meaning and a real purpose. But imagine being Abram, the name meaning father of many and you're the father of none. Your whole life as a married man, hey, Abram, you know, father of many, I I don't have any kids. And, you know, so that that would have probably been a a difficult name for him to have. It'd be like a bald guy with the name Harry. It just doesn't fit. You know, you're thinking, well, wait a second, that name shouldn't be for you. And I'm sure there was a point in time in his life where maybe he's thinking, I should change my name because this name really doesn't suit me. You know, I don't have any kids and it's kind of awkward. Hey, my name's father of many. How are you? Well, where are your kids? I don't have any kids. Uh, And so, you know, this would have been a difficult thing for him. But God now says, hey, Abram, I'm changing your name. Maybe he's thinking, great. You know, I've really wanted to change my name for a long time because it just doesn't suit me. But God takes it a step further. Hey, you're no longer going to be father of many. Oh, good. What am I going to be? No no father at all? No, no. You're going to be father of many nations. You know, he, he expounds upon it. And ultimately, he's doing this to help Abram take an outward step of faith. Because try to imagine now the situation. Abram, after he's done meeting with God, he's got to come back to his wife. He's got to come back to all the people who are there in his household. And when they say, Abram, can I get you something? Or Abram, how are you doing? He's got to stop them and say, you know what? My name is no longer Abram. I've changed it or God's changed it now to Abraham. Call me Abraham. And they'd be like, Abraham? You know, I mean, Abram was really kind of weird enough because you have no kids. Now you're going to be father of many nations? But it would give him the opportunity when they say, why in the world would you change your name to that? He could say, I didn't. God has changed my name and God has promised me that I am going to be a father of many nations. But it's made him kind of take this step outwardly of putting this faith in practice because he has to tell people about it. His name's changed and people are going to be wondering, why is it changed? And he now has to share 
what God has told him and what the plan is. And if he doesn't tell anyone and just, you know, I won't say anything, obviously he's not putting that into practice, but God is doing this to give him that opportunity to actually share with people the fact that God is going to fulfill this promise to this 99-year-old man. So the third way that God helps Abram grow in his faith and obedience is God changes Abram's name to help him identify with the promise and also to tell others about it. You know, Abraham was given a special name by God, but he had to believe that God would fulfill the meaning of the name. It's fine, okay, my name's Abraham, All right, whatever, Lord, if you want to call me that, call me whatever you want, you're God. But that wasn't it. you, you got to really believe God is going to actually fulfill this. He is actually going to give me a son, and then that son is going to have children, and I'm going to be a father of many nations. God used that name to help develop Abram's faith. And God does the same thing with you and me. As Christians, we have been given names that seem pretty preposterous to us. Names like saint, names like righteous, chosen one, child of God. You, know, you look at your life and you think, man, the sinful thoughts that I have and the sinful actions that I have, you know, saint, righteous, it doesn't fit. It's about as fitting as, you know, father of many to a father of none. You know, so oftentimes we, we get these names and we think, you know, this doesn't describe me. You know, I mean, I'm not a saint. I'm not righteous. You know, I mean, these names just don't seem to fit the way in which my life is often lived. But the important thing to note is that God didn't give Abram a name change because something that Abram did. God gave him a name change of something that God was going to do for him. I am going to make you the father of many nations, and I'm giving you the new name because of something that I'm going to do in your life. In the same way, God doesn't give us our new names because something that we have done. He gives it because we believe in what Jesus is doing and has done for us. We make that choice to believe in Christ, and all of a sudden we're saints. All of a sudden we're righteous, we're chosen, we're God's children because of who we are now in Christ and what he has done for us, not because we've obtained sainthood because we're so godly and good, but because Jesus was so godly and good on our behalf and now God gives us these wonderful new names. And these new names help us grow. You hear something like that. You see that God sees you now as white as snow. You know, and these, you know, these thoughts are just like, how could I be ever as white as snow with all the sin that I've done in my life? But no, because of what Christ has done, God sees you differently. He's given you this new name. And hopefully, like with Abraham, it increases our faith. So the fourth thing that God does to help Abraham grow in faith and obedience is in verses 9 through 14. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise, and he, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or bought with money with, from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
So here God gives Abram another outward display. First, he gives his name, Abraham, and now all of a sudden he's got to share that with people, and that's an outward display to help him grow in faith. And he's like, okay, now I got, I got something even more difficult, Abram. It's one thing to say, now my name's Abraham, but I have a covenant that I want to make with you. I want the sign of that covenant to be circumcision, the cutting away of the male foreskin. Now, I find it interesting of all the signs that God could have chosen. I mean, you could think of all the different things he could have used, you know, whatever. He chooses this sign as the sign for the covenants that he makes with Abraham. And you might think, why, Lord, why this? But you know what? I think it's very fitting, especially for Abraham, considering what we just saw in chapter 16. As he, in his flesh, takes it upon himself to have a child for the Lord, trying to help God out in the flesh and, and sleeps with Hagar and you know produces Ishmael. He tries to do that. And I think, you know, God, I'm trying to help you out. And I think God's saying, now, you want to help me out? Okay, fine. Do the opposite of what you did 14 years ago. Instead of trying in your flesh to help me out, I want you to cut away your flesh. I don't want you to trust in your flesh anymore. You know, this is a great sign. The cutting away of the flesh was for you and all your descendants to remember what you did wrong and should never do again. Don't trust in the flesh. Cut away the flesh. Don't let that be the thing that you place your trust in. The fourth way that God helps Abraham to grow in faith and obedience is God gives Abraham an outward sign to help him identify with and remember the covenant. Identify with and remember it. You know, this is another thing that God does for us to help us grow in faith, to help us grow in obedience. God has given us outward signs to identify with. He's also given us outward signs to remember the covenant relationship that we have with him. We identify in an outward sign with the Lord through baptism. We're identifying with God's death. We're identifying with his resurrection. It's a, a wonderful outward thing that the Lord has given to us to do for identification with Jesus and what he's done for us and a great, wonderful faith-building time. For those of you who have been baptized, you know that when you took that obedience and did that before the Lord, it was a great growing process. But we also have given a sign of communion, that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus says to us, hey, regularly do this in remembrance of me, remembrance of what I've done, remembrance of what the covenant is based upon, which is my sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And so God, just like he did with Abraham, does for us here. Here are some signs that will remind you, that will help you identify with the covenant you have with me. And it helps us grow in faith and obedience. The fifth thing that God does to help Abraham grow in faith and obedience is in verses 15 and 16. It says this. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. So we already saw God changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham and goes from father of many to father of many nations. And now he says, hey, just like that, hopefully is going to increase your faith as you go out and tell people about that. There's something else you need to know, Abram, now that you're Abraham. 
Your wife, who is Sarai, she's no longer going to be called Sarai. I'm going to change her name as well. She's now going to be Sarah. Now, there's only a subtle difference between the meaning of Sarai and Sarah, but it's a significant one. Sarai means my lady or my princess, which confines her domain to one family. But Sarah means a lady or princess without restriction or a princess of many nations. So basically, you could say Abraham is the father of many nations. Sarah is the mother of many nations. And once again, for a barren woman her whole life, this would be a very difficult name to actually hold on to and tell people. But it was for the purpose of them realizing she is going to be the one. Now, remember, in chapter 16, she didn't believe it. I'm not going to be the one. I'm the barren one. God can't use me. We're going to have to use Hagar. He, she's going to be the one to bear children, not me. And so 13 more years have transpired, and God wants Abraham to understand, hey, your wife, she has a new name because she is going to be the mother of many nations. You and her, not you and Hagar, you and her are going to have a child, and it's going to be the child of promise. And so God does this once again, I want you, Abraham, to grow in faith and obedience. I want you to understand my promise has always been for you and Sarah. It's never been for you and anyone else to go out and try to have kids with other people. I'm going to fulfill this between you two. Well, let's see how Abraham responds to this news. I mean, this is pretty big news for a 99-year-old man with an 89-year-old wife. Verse 17 says this. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So how does Abraham respond to the news? You and your wife are going to have a child. What does he do? He laughs. And you can understand this. And I think this is kind of like, oh man, it even says it. How is someone who's then going to be a hundred and his wife 90 going to have a child? And then he says something that just kind of shows he doesn't really get ultimately what God's trying to do. He says, you know what? We're too old ultimately. Let Ishmael live before you. Let Ishmael be the promised child. Just use Ishmael. That means he's 13 now. Let's just, you know, I love him. Let that be it. You know, we're too old for this. God's like, no. Ishmael is never the one that I wanted. That is your work of the flesh. That is not me and the promise that I wanted to give you. Sarah is going to be the one that gives birth. I'm not done with Ishmael. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make him, you know, a great man. But the one that truly that I want to bless, the one that I have as the promised child is going to be the son that you're going to have. And here's his name. When you bear him or your wife bears him, call him Isaac. We've seen God share a name of himself. We saw God change Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. And now he gives us another name, 
Isaac means laughter. Why do you think Isaac would be the name that God would choose? Ah. Twofold, I think that's kind of the, the side of remembrance. I mean, Isaac surely brings them a lot of laughter and the fact that, hey, we're 190 and the Lord finally fulfills his promises is so great. But yet we're going to see Abraham already has laughed. And at the end of this chapter, Sarah's going to laugh as well. Uh, both of them laugh at the reality that how is this ever going to happen? Uh, and so as they have this child, Isaac Come here, laughter, laughter. It's going to be a reminder to them of you laughed at what I said I would do, but I did it. A reminder of how God fulfilled the promise that he said he would do. And this is going to be a continual reminder with the name of their son. And so it's purposeful in why God chooses that name for them. The fifth way that God helps Abraham to grow in his faith and obedience is God changes Sarai's name to help Abraham believe it will be through Sarah that the promised child will come. So God has done five things now. Five things to help Abraham grow in faith, in obedience. And the question is, has it worked? Chapter 15, finally Abraham got to that place. He believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. We saw a good step forward. Are we going to see any steps forward with what God has done now? Well, let's see if he grows or not. The response that he gives is in verses 23 through 27. Let's see what happens. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So one of the things that God says, and I have a sign for you, I, I want to help you grow by giving you this sign of circumcision. It's going to be a sign for you and for your descendants after you. You're going to have to cut the foreskin in order for this sign to take place. But it's not just for you, Abram. It's not just for you to do. Every single male, your son and everybody in your household, everyone that you bought, everyone that's connected to you, basically everyone you have authority over, I want you to make sure that they are circumcised as well. Now notice how Abraham responds. We're said that he takes himself and his son and everybody else. And how long does he wait to fulfill what God told him? He does it the same exact day. Now think about this, because when Abraham was first called to go to the promised land, he goes completely a different direction. He waits for years and it takes him a long time to be obedient. And so we're seeing growth in his life. He went from waiting years to obey to obeying the same day. All right, Lord, you're telling me to do this. I'm doing it today. And this wouldn't have been something that you would look forward to doing to yourself or to others or something that they would want done as well. But once again, it is something that would cause Abram to grow in his faith because he now has to tell people why in the world he's doing this. 
Because I want you to imagine now Ishmael or any other man who's there and you come to them and you are going to circumcise them and they're probably thinking, you know, what are you doing, old man, with that knife? You know, I mean, get away from me. You now have to explain to them why you're seeking to do this and what God has said. Just like your name changed, now you have to say, hey, we're doing this because God has made a covenant with me and with all my descendants and I'm going to share with you this covenant is about the fact that I am going to have a child with Sarah, my wife, and we're going to be made into a wonderful big nation. And now he has to proclaim this to people. It hasn't happened yet. He still has no children. He's still doing this without the promise actually having been fulfilled. He has to take a step of faith and say, I believe it's going to happen and I'm going to obey God and I'm going to do this for all of you men. Now remember, when Lot was taken, we're told that he was able to have 318 trained fighting servants go with him to battle. So 318 male servants that were actually trained as soldiers, he probably had many more than that. But if we just say that he only had those males, you include him and his son, that's 320 guys that he circumcised that day alone. He probably circumcised many more, but so, I mean, this was something significant. There was a lot of people that he had to do this to, a lot of people that he had to share with and help them understand, because no one's going to be like sitting back, go for it. They're going to want to know, why in the world are you doing this to me? And he would have had to explain to them what was going on. Once again, this was God saying, I want to give you something that gives you an outward action to put in place to show, I do believe this promise. I do have faith in you. I want to obey. And God often does the same thing with us. Remember, he wanted complete, whole, entire. He wanted all of Abraham. I don't just want little bits. I want everything. Are you willing to go forward with this? Are you willing to do this, Abraham? This is a big step. And I'm going to put this out there for you to help you grow and put your faith in action. So God uses these five things to help Abraham grow in his faith and obedience. And and it's working. He's growing. He's doing things that he hadn't done before. He's doing it right away, which he didn't do before. But now we're going to see that the beginning of chapter 18, God is going to come and visit him again. It's only a short period of time between the two times that God sees him, which is unique because it's been years between the other times that God has visited him and spoke to him and then waited years to come again. Um, And we're going to see two more things that God does to help Abraham grow in faith. And so the sixth thing that we see here starting on chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, says this. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I had found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servants." Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servants. They say, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent of Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man And he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which had been prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. 
So Abraham now, it's been a little bit of time, is sitting in his tent. It's the lunchtime, and all of a sudden he sees three men standing by him, and he recognizes that one of them is the Lord. Uh, and we're going to find out from the next chapter, actually the end of this chapter leading to the next, the other two are angels. And so we have an appearance of the Lord with two angels, and they come and they meet with Abraham. And notice what he does when he sees these men. And notice how old he is. Here's a 99-year-old man, and when he sees these men, what does he do? He runs to them. Now, I don't know how many of you have grandparents who are, you know, maybe maybe some of you have never had a, a relative to reach 99, but 99-year-olds don't usually run, and if they do, they don't really make it very far. But here, he is running to the Lord, and when he gets to him, notice what he does. He bows himself before him, bows himself in worship to God, and then we see him running again. So the first time he runs is to worship the Lord. The second time he runs is because, hey, I want to serve you. I want to make sure that you guys have food. And so he goes to Sarah's wife and says, here, I want you to make some cakes. And then we're told he runs out to the field and he says, here, I'm going to choose the best calf. And now you come prepare this calf so that we can feed the Lord and these two angels that are with him. And so we see him demonstrating his heart of worship and service to the Lord and how he's excited to do it. He runs to do it. He's wanting to do it. And, you know, we're seeing a change in him. And this is another outward action as we've seen the Lord working in him to help him grow. Now we see him as a man who's worshiping, as a man who's serving. And verses 9 and 10, now we have them share some important news with Abraham. Notice what they tell him. Verse 9, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Last chapter, God makes it real clear. Hey, it's not going to be you and Hagar. Ishmael's not going to be the promised son. You and Sarah are going to have a son. I am going to give that to you. He reiterates that. He wants to make that clear but now he says something which would even more help Abraham grow in faith and obedience. Notice he says, I'm going to come back and you're going to have a son according to the time of life. This phrase, according to the time of life, speaks of the nine months that a child has to grow in the womb before it's born. And so he's giving him now a very specific time frame. Sarah is going to get pregnant and nine months from now she is going to have the promised child. Now try to imagine this. I mean, you've been waiting for 24 years. God first gives you the promise. 10 years go by. You try in your flesh to work it out, do it yourself. It doesn't work. 13 more years go by. Every time that God has reiterated this promise, a huge chunk of time has went by before it happens. Last chapter, God says again, hey, Sarah's going to have a child. Yeah, well, when? I'm when I'm 150? I mean, you know, I'm sure there was probably a little bit of like, when is this going to happen? I've heard this before. It's been 24 years. There's never any time frame here, Lord. You always just say you're going to do it. And then I don't know how long I got to wait. But now God gives him this specific time frame. Hey, Abram, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I know you've waited a long time. I know your wife has waited a long time. But now let me tell you, it is going to happen in nine months, you will bear, or she will bear a child. What a great faith-building tool this was for him. The sixth way that God helps Abraham to grow in his faith and obedience is God gives Abraham a specific time for when the promise 
would be fulfilled. And once again, this is something that God does for us. We don't like to wait. Well, I'll just say this. I don't like to wait. Uh, and so, you know, when enough time transpires, we start to wonder, when is this going to happen? And we start to get, you know, frustrated and we start to wonder things. And, you know, God knows that for us. And oftentimes to help us grow in faith, to help us grow in obedience, he comes and he says, you know what? It's going to happen real soon. Uh, just hold on a little longer. I'm going to deal with this real soon. And, you know, sometimes he might even give a specific time frame, like the nine months that he does for them. But there are times that God says, you know what? I'm not just going to give you this endless, you know, it'll happen sometime in the future. But, you know, there's times I know in my own life where God has said, hey, I'm, it's going to happen soon. You can be ready for this. I'm going to move in this way or move in that way. And he does this for us. He does this to help us grow in our faith and our trust and our obedience to him because it's hard to keep believing in something when you think, how much longer is this going to happen? Especially for a guy like Abraham. It's like, it's already been 24 years, Lord. I mean, do I got 24 more to go? When's this going to transpire? Nine months, Abraham. What? You know, now all of a sudden, okay, I can work with that. Nine months, yeah, we're ready. Let's move forward with this. And so God uses this to encourage him to continue to believe in the promise that God had given to him. The seventh thing that God does to help Abraham grow in faith and obedience is in verses 11 through 15. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And, she, and he said, No, but you did laugh. So Sarah has been a part of making the food for the Lord and these two angels. She's sitting there in the tent and they're having this conversation with Abraham and they tell Abraham, hey, you know, now it's going to happen in nine months. Your wife, Sarah, is going to have a baby in nine months. And she's hearing this and we're told that she laughs within herself. Before Abraham laughs out loud, she kind of laughs within herself. So there's nothing that actually comes out for people to hear. But unfortunately for her, God knows exactly what's happening. So he catches what transpires. But then she does say, you know, oh, man, you know, she's laughing because she's thinking, am I now going to have this pleasure? You know, at 90, is this going to happen for me with, you know, Abraham, who's 100? And, and you know, it shows a, a lack of really believing that this can actually happen. And the Lord responds to her and shares something that is very important. And he says, is anything too hard for God? And what's the answer to that question? No. Now, we know that is the biblical answer, just like we know a lot of things are the biblical answer to questions. But sometimes we don't actually act upon that, believe that in the impossible situation that we're in. And we might pose, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, yes, this is. God could never get me through this, or, or that is, God can never help me through that. But, you know, he wants Sarah, he wants Abraham to understand, look at who you're serving. He started this chapter, or the last chapter, sorry, with, I am the all-powerful, almighty God, I can do anything. And now he poses this question to them to help them really think through, is there anything that is too difficult for me? Is giving you a child at 90 and 100 too difficult? 
No? Okay, then why is it that you don't believe? Why is it you don't think I can do this? Nothing is too hard for me. So the seventh way that God helps Abraham to grow his faith is God helps Abraham see that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And once again, this is definitely something that God does for us as he wants to help us grow in faith, grow in obedience, as we encounter impossible things or at least things that we label as impossible or difficult or whatever it may be. And God just reminds us, is there anything too hard for me? Well, no. Okay, trust me. Trust me that I'll get you through this. Be obedient to me in this. Do what I tell you to do. I will handle this because nothing is too hard for me. As we've been looking at Abraham's life, we've seen a lot of growth. We've also seen a lot of failure. But from where he has started to where he is now, he's grown a lot. He's grown a lot in his faith. He's grown a lot in his obedience. And I want you to realize it's not because, wow, Abraham is just so great. It's because of what the Lord has been doing in his life. God is the one who's been working in Abraham to get him from where he was to where he is. And God's not done working. We're going to see more growth in his life. But the Lord is the one who's actively helping Abraham to grow. And I want you to kind of leave with that as we looked at this chapter and a half of reminding ourselves that, hey, that's what God does for us. You know, he is going to complete the work that he started in us. And I think sometimes we think, you know, I got to muster it up. I got to do it myself. I got to make myself this godly man or godly woman. And we forget, no, the Lord is the one who's going to come and he's going to work in us. We have his spirit dwelling in us. He's the one who continues to help us grow because he wants to bring us to the place that he desires us to be. That's what the sanctification process is. And God is the ultimate one who's working in us to make us more like Jesus Christ. Uh, And it's not something we do in ourselves. It's something that we trust him to do for us. Stephen Cole said this about relying upon God, not ourselves. The Lord wants us to recognize our weaknesses so that we will trust his strength. Many people mistakenly think that the reason they struggle in their Christian lives is that they're too weak. That isn't so. The reason we struggle in our Christian walk is that we do not recognize our own weakness for what it is. And so we trust in ourselves rather than in the Lord. When we seek our, when we see our weakness and cast ourselves on the Lord's strength, then we're strong. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who are helpless. When they helped themselves, Abraham and Sarah came up with Hagar and Ishmael. When they were helpless, God gave them Isaac. Hudson Taylor used to say that when God wanted to open inland China to the gospel, he looked around until he found a man weak enough for the task. You and I, like Abraham and Sarah, are full of weakness, full of failure, full of problems. But if we will put our trust in the Lord, trust in his strength, trust in what he can do, then just like we see this growth in Abraham and Sarah, we can see the growth that God does in our lives as well. It's not, oh, we got to be so strong and wonderful for this to happen. No, God just says, depend on me. I'm strong and wonderful. You can be as weak as you have to be. I am strong enough to make up for any weakness that you have. And I hope that encourages you. I hope you look at where Abraham and Sarah start and where they are now, and look at your own start or your presence and realize God can take you to where he wants you to be, regardless of what issues you got going on, if you'll just trust him to do that. So any thoughts on what we looked at tonight? Any questions?